So we are beginning also a new series today with, with, with the time we have left. Uh, and this is a series on how we can experience the presence of God in every part of our lives. And we're drawing some themes from this book, God in My Everything, by Ken Shigematsu. It's an excellent book. He spoke at Training Ground last year, for those of you that were there, and talked about some of the things that we're going to be talking about in this book. But this is just an excellent book. It's a treasure trove of wisdom. Um, it has a lot of practical advice for, for those of us that need practical advice on how to move forward in our walk with God. And we're going to be learning how to, how to invite God into every part of our lives. Because God, um, you know, the ultimate goal is that we would know God even as we are fully known by him. That's when we see Jesus face to face. We are going to know him even as we are fully known by him. The deepest intimacy possible between two personalities, being known and knowing. But until that day, when we know God fully, we can come to experience and know him as we walk with him on this earth by faith. So there's a, there's a real thing that's happening where the presence of God, when we are believers in Christ, begins to work inside of us, begins to shine light in all the dark places, and begins to open us up to experiencing God in every part of our life. In addition to going through this book as a congregation, uh, we're going to be going through it in our small groups. Some of them are starting this week. Some of them are starting next week. This time I'm starting the lobby uh, by, the, by the outside foyer door. The books are for sale for $10 a copy right over there. But the whole church, I'm encouraging you all to read through this book. There will be a reading plan that gets us all through it. And we'll discuss it from week to week here. So experiencing God in our lives is the thing that will separate us out from the world. And show people that we belong to God and that Jesus has changed our lives. It's, it's one thing to know about Jesus, and it's another thing to know Jesus. God wants to know each of us and be known by each of us. He's a self-revelatory God. He did not have to reveal anything about himself to anybody. He's God. He has no one to answer to. He's the highest authority. But it has always been his great pleasure to reveal himself to his people. And progressively throughout human history, God has been doing that. He did that in creation. He does that in creation. He did that with Moses and the Israelites, revealing his name to Moses. And he did it all throughout the New Testament. John the Baptist, Jesus Christ himself, and, and the apostles and the disciples of God and the people that followed God in the first church. He's been revealing himself through every generation. And one generation uh, speaks his praises to the next. It's one thing to know him, to know about him. It's another thing to know him. Now, God wants us to know, know the scriptures, but through them, through the scriptures, he wants us to come to know the living Jesus Christ, who is living and active in us, in, within us individually and within our church body. He wants us to experience Jesus so that we might be changed by God's work in our lives. Not just knowing about Jesus, but being known by him and being uh, changed into his likeness. Now, God is after the kind of knowing that leads to life transformation, that we know and take hold of things about God, and then those things work their way into our lives and transform us over time. Today we're going to look at how spiritual exercise changes us, exercising our spirituality. And that's, that is also what this book is going to be about. So the Bible is full of athletic metaphors in describing our spirituality and our spiritual walk. Listen to this athletic metaphor from 1 Corinthians 9.25. It says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a, ground, a crown that will not last. 
but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Athletic metaphor, the Olympic Games. And uh, Paul's an intense guy, as you can probably hear here. He's talking about beating his body into submission uh, to, to follow Jesus. He's an intense guy. Whether you're an intense guy or gal or not, his message is kind of contagious and uh, touches the heart. That we should kind of wake up. Wake up from our stupor. Wake up from our wandering and realize um, we, we are we're running a race to know, to know God. We're, we're walking a race to know Jesus. Let's throw off everything that slows us down and take hold of that, right? 1 Corinthians 9. And this is just one, one of many spots in the Bible where the Bible teaches us to approach our spiritual training as we would physical training in terms of our mindset, how we think about our spiritual training. It's, and and uh, I, I have several different friends and even some testimony of this in my own home, but it's one thing to have an exercise bike or a treadmill in your house. It's another thing to ride it for a little while each day instead of using it to hang your wet laundry on to dry off. Which is what all the people I know that have treadmills and exercise bikes use those things for. They say, once I get this thing into my house, I'm going to ride it every day. I'm going to do awesome. And it becomes a glorified clothesline. It's one thing to have, um, have one of these devices. It's another thing to ride it just a little bit each day and to reap the benefits. You know, we all know that in the physical, that even a slight change in our behavior, good or bad, can lead to big changes. I'm always, personally, and maybe you're like me, I'm tempted to go full throttle when making changes in my life, which does hardly ever leads to success. Full throttle hardly ever leads to success. Um, it's not sustainable. I, I appreciate that I have passion to do that, but it's not sustainable. The best course of action I've learned over time is to make smaller, sustainable changes in our lives so that over time, they yield the greatest results. That's true physically in the physical realm. It's also true in the spiritual realm. You know, we, the best way to grow spiritually is to make slight changes in our lives to meet with God by the power of Jesus' Holy Spirit. He uses those small things every day to change us over time. We are God's workmanship. He's chiseling away at us all the time. I had two gigs uh, recently for DJing. I, I do de wedding DJing. And uh, about three months ago, I had a gig where I had to lug two extremely heavy sound systems into two different locations for a wedding. And um, after that gig, it was, it was summertime, it was hot. Uh, I was sort of dreading that second gig that was coming. I'm like, in a few months, I have another one. It's going to be really hot. It's going to be the end of summer. Uh, getting everything set up in the heat is going to be exhausting. And I also threw out my shoulder a little bit last time. Well, on that second gig, I set everything up, including walking sizable distances outside, up and down hills, holding these huge speakers in the sound system. And I found it to be surprisingly easy. It wasn't, didn't live up to the dread I had built up in my heart. And when I reflected on that, I remember that I had been doing weight training two times a week with my friend for, the, for those three months consistently. And I, I just had this revelation. This little bit of weight training I've been doing, which has not felt like enough to me at all, um, has improved my stamina and my strength over time without me hardly even noticing it. 
I mean, I lift weights with my friend Nate, another guy named Nate, who's also a pastor, in a church basement in Boston Spa twice a week for like 45 minutes, two days. Most of the time we're just talking while we lift and like hanging out and uh, catching up as friends. And through that little bit of consistent weekly activity, my strength grew. I think that's also true of the spiritual realm. It's a picture the Bible consistently pushes that the athletic of the physical is related to the spiritual. When we exercise certain muscles spiritually, they become strengthened over time as well. And these small changes yield amazing gains, as the you know, workout people say, over time when practiced daily and in a sustainable way. The most powerful example of this is reading a little bit of Bible every day. You would be very surprised how that transforms your life. It's the, word, the inspired word of God. You've heard, maybe you've heard or read the thing before, and you might not even feel very inspired as you begin to read it. But as you read it, the way the Holy Spirit works this particular book into your life, transforming your perspective, is amazing. And it just takes a couple minutes a day. A couple minutes a day. It's a spiritual muscle. These small changes can lead to amazing progress in the spiritual realm. I've shared about this before, even recently, and I shared about it in my annual report, but I'll share it again. You know, I was confronted with an internal struggle. It's really been over, over many years I've had this struggle, but it sort of came to a head for me in April this past year, around my birthday. And I was, in, I was confronted with this internal struggle to receive comfort from God's Holy Spirit. I felt like there was something wrong with me. There's something broken in me that I cannot feel the comfort that God offers to me by his spirit. What's wrong with me? I wasn't able to simply let go of things and trust God with them very easily and let God's spirit comfort me. I just didn't have that feature in my spirituality. Now, the Bible verse that I point, point to is 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. So that we can confront, so that we can com comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. That's a frustrating thing to read and think about when I don't I haven't been able to take hold of it for myself. So I was frustrated. God calls His Holy Spirit the Comforter. God calls Himself the Comforter. He says He will comfort us. That our comfort will abound, and then we can use that comfort to comfort other people. But I felt like I was always looking outside of myself for comfort, not finding that internally from the Holy Spirit as I wanted to. So in April of this past year, I spoke with a very spiritually-minded woman, an author that I met, and I shared this predicament with her because she was someone that is a, a spiritual, uh, you know, counselor, if you will. And uh, she asked me to locate some images in the Bible about God being a comforter that I could draw on. So I looked at John, you know, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. But most of what I found, as I thought about this, was Luke 15. Um, there's three scenes in Luke 15. It's a parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So in Luke 15... 
the good shepherd typified, typifies God here uh, leaves the 99 safe sheep to go find the one who's lost who might be hurt or frightened and alone and when the good shepherd finds that sheep he puts it up on his shoulders and rejoices and he rejoices more in that one sheep they found than the 99 who were not lost at all that's the heart of God to find those things that are lost secondly in Luke 15 we see the parable of the lost coin there's a widow who is low on money and she loses a special coin turns her house upside down trying to find this coin finally she finds it and when she does she rejoices with her friends and Jesus's commentary on that story is in the same way I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over of God over one sinner who repents then maybe in the final and most powerful image in Luke 15 a man's youngest son leaves home and takes his inheritance with him and he squanders it on wild living and loses it all and after he's partied out he decides to come back to his father who he has scorned basically and to beg his father to make him like a servant working for him because he had spent all of his inheritance but the text says but when the son was still a long way off in the distance his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him now what a, what a picture of radical comfort for someone who's troubled think of all the things that were going through the young son's mind as he returned to his father he's rehearsing his speech father i've sinned against heaven and against you i'm not worthy to be called your son he's thinking am i going to be judged am i going to be punished what's going to happen but his father from a long way down the road sees him coming throws his arms around him puts a puts a, a new coat on him and a ring on his finger and has a feast to celebrate his son's back so th those are the images mostly that i drew from and with these images written in my notebook my spiritual advisor helped me create a spiritual practice where i spent quiet time in prayer and i labored to visualize myself in these three parables of christ so i was the lost sheep now, i was the lost coin now is the lost son. And as I visualize this in prayer, a little bit every day, every week at least, when I miss days, I began to believe the word of God in a far deeper place inside of me. And I could almost feel you know, the, the sense of the Father's presence around me, accepting me back, rejoicing that I was found, you know, beloved of him, that he was not here to punish me, but to, to help me. And as I did that practice over several months, I began to experience the comfort of God, something that is the inheritance of every believer in Jesus. We should all have access to the comfort of God. And I was able to strengthen this muscle in my life, which is really nothing short of miraculous. You know those weird thoughts you have about yourself? You're like, there's something really wrong with me. Other people get this and I don't. You ever had that thought before? How come other Christians seem to to A, B, and C, but I seem to D, E, and F? <laughs> um... It's a spiritual muscle. And that being able to, to draw from the comfort of the Holy Spirit has been the fruit of exercising that spiritual muscle. Now, as with physical exercise, our, our, spiritual, our physical muscles get exercised, um, so spiritual exercise can grow our spiritual muscles. And we begin to know God in our experience as we encounter his presence and receive the grace that we need to continue moving forward following Jesus, the, the gift. You know, it's all a gift. 
that grace is just a gift to keep us going, to keep us full. And that change, that, that spiritual change does not have to be a huge overarching thing. It can be a small thing. A little Bible reading, a little meditation on scripture and prayer. The important thing about any kind of exercise is that you do it regularly and consistently. Not that you go too crazy all at once. And the passage we're going to focus on today, in 1 Timothy 4, 7-8, it says, Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present and the life to come. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. We spend time training our bodies at the gym or our minds in school or with books. We know this training produces results as we practice these things consistently over time. And the same is true of our spirit. Paul says in this text, train yourself to be godly. The Greek word for train is gymnazo, as far as I can tell. Is that right, Dave? Gymnazo, sure. Um, it's where we get the word gymnasium from. You know, the, the Apostle Paul is suggesting that our spiritual exercise, in some way, be like exercising in a gymnasium. Um, if we do these spiritual exercises, we'll become spiritually stronger. And Paul says that physical training has some value, which we, we've already talked about, but godliness, training to be like Jesus, has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. But this is not a pie in the sky and the by and by. This is in this life and in the life to come. There's value in this kind of training. Now the Apostle Paul, you know, the first thing he acknowledges in this passage is that physical training is of some value, and that's undisputed. If you did, if you did five push-ups a day, even if it was almost impossible for you, or five sit-ups, eventually you'll find yourself being able to do more and more. Um, years ago, when I was beginning to run regularly, I did a Couch to 5K app, that got me up to a 5K. And then I just ran a little bit more every day. And um, I got to the point where I ran a little over 13 miles. And I realized that's, that's a half marathon. So I signed up for a half marathon and ran a half marathon. I would not have believed you if you told me that was possible the year before. You know, this is, this is why these small changes, small additions every day make big differences. But Paul goes uh, a step further, saying that, like that, like that runner who's got these small gains every day, we should train ourselves to be godly, which has more value because it's not just about this life, but the life to come. Paul said earlier in that Corinthians passage, we run to win the prize, to win the race. You know, our, if our life is a race. Um, the literal translation of, of this passage in 1 Timothy would be, take your faith to the gym. Give it a gym mentality. I don't know what kind of gym you like. Maybe you like to bounce. Maybe you like to be in those bouncy gyms. Um, I don't know what your spiritual gym looks like. But, uh, but bring your faith to the gym. Develop spiritual exercises to strengthen your spiritual muscles. Train yourself for godliness. That Greek word, gymnazo, where that word for training comes from in our passage, um, has an even deeper meaning in its original context. Because in Greek culture, and you kids, you're going to think this is funny, but athletes got ready for their competitions in the nude. That's how it worked in, in Greek culture. That was, that was the, that's why I see all those statues that are not wearing anything. And the idea was, nothing is there, hopefully, to hold you back when you are completely 
let go of everything and clean your clothing. And um, it's, it's a weird idea. But in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, to look at this from a spiritual point of view, another, spirit, another uh, physical uh, metaphor. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's the idea of throw off the things that entangle you. Throw off the sin. Throw off the things that weigh you down. You're being cheered on by a cloud of witnesses. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Run the race. Let Jesus perfect your faith. Once again, in this athletic uh, metaphor, when it comes to spiritual exercise, if the clothing you are wearing or anything else is hindering your progress, throw it off. Not literally. Only when, if you're in Greek times and you're in the Olympics. Leave your clothes on. But spiritually, what things entangle you? What things weigh you down? Hebrews says, throw them off. Jesus has the victory at the cross. Let's not get weighed down with this perpetual sin that just entangles us week after week and just we just keep walking into the same stupid trap the things we hold on to and won't let go of let's throw those things off and run this race with perseverance throw it off you know training by necessity requires you to leave some things behind so you might run the race set before you with perseverance and every christian must continually See what is holding them back. And if those things are not godly, then throwing them off. We must work out diligently. Um, discipline ourselves in prayer. Strengthen our heart for God in personal and corporate worship. Now that's the way of Jesus. And that's the journey I'm, hope, I'm hoping we can uh, begin today. Growing these spiritual muscles. We can keep on going. Uh, we could probably go on forever with examples of how godliness benefits us in this life. But here's one from our author. Because you and I are human, we're going to be tempted. I'm going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. So let's say you're in a situation where you're tempted to do something that's going to give pleasure temporarily, like a short-term benefit, but it will also undermine your integrity. Maybe destroy it. Maybe it'll hurt a loved one or... It will grieve God's heart. It will hurt you. And you're wrestling with this. But because you've been training spiritually with God's help, you're able, to, you're able to finally overcome that thing. That's what we're talking about here. That's amazing value. Because you are training, you're able to finally shake off those sins that so easily entangle and weigh you down. Once again, 1 Timothy 4, 7-8. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. So how does it hold value for the life to come? Well, if God has come into your life and has slowly begun changing you, and you are sensing this new growing desire in you to become more like Jesus, which the Holy Spirit puts in every Christian, that very fact is a sign, according to Paul, that God has deposited his Holy Spirit within you, which is the down payment of your salvation. Um, when we come to know Jesus, he gives us his Holy Spirit. That's something that you can't put a price tag on. You're given it as a free gift. So if you're moving toward godliness with the help of God, 
It means you have the gift of eternal life, which benefits you not only in this life, but in the life to come. Because there will be a continuity between what we experience in this life and what we experience in the life to come. Who you are now, and who are you, who you are becoming, and who you will be in the world to come, all are interrelated. So what you learn and how you grow in this side of eternity, you're going to continue to learn and grow in the other side of eternity as well, as you're made perfect by Jesus. And it has value both for this life and the life to come. As it says in Philippians 2, 2.12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, to will and to act, in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God who's at work in you. And that's some good motivation, I think, to take hold of these things with a sense of seriousness that you're training for a race. Now, how we live today is going to affect how we live in eternity with God. So, training yourself to be godly holds promise not just for this life, but for the one to come. You know, it will change things. Once again, the Apostle Paul says that training for godliness in ways that make you like Jesus Christ has value for all things in life, but also for this life to come. So where do we start this journey? Well, you know, I'm not sure where the, where the, where the phrase came from, but they say, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. It just starts with a step. So how do we actually move toward becoming a person who trains to become like Jesus Christ, who trains for godliness? Well, the first is, thing is to offer your life to God. So it says in Romans 12:1, present yourself to God as a sacrifice holy and pleasing to him. This is your spiritual act of worship. Notice this is not cleaning yourself up and getting yourself ready and wrapping yourself up to present yourself to God. Whoever you are right now, warts and all, sin problems, issues, uh, whatever it might be, present yourself to God in an act of surrender. Now come to Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive your sins. You know, Jesus came into our world to do many things, but his main mission was, which he said himself, was to die, to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life on the cross, like we talked about earlier. He came to seek and save the lost, which includes you and I. So when we ask Jesus to forgive our sins with sincerity and desire to follow God, then Jesus forgives us and covers up our offenses before God, removing the dividing wall of hostility that was between us and God. And that, that's the first step. Offer your life to God in sincerity. Let the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus cleanse you of your sin. Let the, the gift of God work its way inside of yourself. The next step, I would say, is after offering yourself to God, is, to asking, is asking the Holy Spirit to fill you. According to the scriptures, as I said, each Christian receives a down payment of the Holy Spirit when they become a Christian. But then the scriptures go on in Ephesians 5, 18, to encourage us to be filled with the Spirit on a regular basis. Be filled with the Spirit. And 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us an important reason why we need to be filled with the Spirit as it pertains to our conversation today. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For the spirit, of, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. These are the things that every person that's training needs. You see, God set things up so that we 
He gives us this lofty goal to grow in godliness, and then he gives us the means to get there, because he knows we can't do it ourselves. So he gives us his Holy Spirit, and the Spirit doesn't make us timid, doesn't discourage us, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, things that we often find to be in short supply in ourselves. It's a gift from God. It starts with a gift, it continues with a gift. If we are able, if, if we are to move forward in this arena of spiritual training, then we have, then we have to uh, bring our faith to the gym. Yes, we show up, but we cannot move forward in our own strength. We must continue in the strength that God provides by his Holy Spirit, which is why we ask him to fill us. God, here I am. Here's everything about me. Here's the things I love, the things I hate. Here's the things you say about me that I'm struggling to agree with you on, but I want to, I want to, I want to want what you want and desire what you want. Give me the strength by your Holy Spirit to do it. Give me the strength. God knows we can't do it ourselves. As we say in our, our big verses, abide in Christ, because if you abide in Christ, you bear much fruit. Apart from him, you can't do anything. So I encourage you to pray these two things this morning. Offer yourself to God. Ask for the filling of his Holy Spirit this morning. If you have never, you know, if you, if you don't have a relationship with God at all at this time, this is the, the perfect time to come to Jesus. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Anyone that asks forgiveness of Jesus, he's faithful and just to forgive them of their sins, cleanse them of all unrighteousness. Anyone that asks to receive his spirit, he will give his spirit. But we must ask in sincerity. We must go before him in this kind of way. So once again, the word of the Lord to us this morning, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. This is the first message of this series. And next week we'll be, we'll be breaking this down further, talking about the spiritual practices and exercises that form our life with God and support our spiritual growth in Christ. But for this week, as we get started, we really need to focus on the basics. You know, come to Jesus for forgiveness. Ask him for the Holy Spirit to fill you and empower you as we begin to train in godliness together as a church. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we recognize that only you have the power to change our lives. We cannot change ourselves. We have tried. We don't have the self-discipline. We don't have the bravery, the boldness. But God, you've given us both the means to do this in your, the blood of your Son shed for us on the cross, the forgiveness of sins. And you've given us the power to do this by your Holy Spirit living within us. I pray that this same spirit that raised Jesus Christ to life, that lives in us, would also give life to our mortal bodies as we seek after you. And I pray that we would begin to train, not as someone boxing the air or boxing in the wind, wasting our energy and all kinds of things that are not Jesus. But Lord, that we train um, with you and for you. That we would grow into a people who are mature, lacking in nothing that we need to fulfill your will. And we do all this, God, recognizing that all these changes we make will benefit not only this life, but the life to come. So we are encouraged. We love you. We thank you for calling us. Above all things, we thank you that 
our names are written in your book, that you know us, you've given us your spirit, and that you are working with us to help us to move forward in our faith. Lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.